following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Uh, good morning. My name is Lester Cruzat, and I'm the newly installed assistant pastor, uh, rookie pastor, I guess, um, here at ICC. And I just want to thank everyone for their emails and prayers. Just um, yeah, just just the kind words that I've received uh, since coming on staff. And um, yeah, again, I just want to thank you for coming uh, together in this way to. Um, celebrate the Lord's Day uh, together in spirit and, and in truth. And, uh, you know, celebrating together. Speaking of celebrations, um, just to speak to the odd times that we're in, I actually attended um, two or three weeks ago uh, a Zoom birthday party. And the theme was, um, the theme was half-dressed to impress. And uh, so we had to come to the party uh, with our tops of, uh, you know, dress shirts or uh, ties, but then the bottom would be sweatpants and gym shorts, and it was such a, such a great time uh, with old friends. Um, and, and all that to say that it's really important for us to uh, celebrate, have times of joy, and mark those times of joy through celebration, especially during these times of loss, uh, sickness, um, times of mourning. And um, I'm just so glad that we were able to do this uh, together to, to celebrate uh, Lord's Day together. And so um, th- this wasn't planned uh, between me and the other pastors, but I'm actually preaching on the next uh, passage right after uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which was preached last week. And I'll be covering Martha and Mary, which is found in Luke 10, 38 to 42. And then though it, it um, and through it, we'll, we'll look uh, to find further encouragement and strength in what Dr. Steve has been exhorting us to do through his sermons in the past weeks, and that is to partake in moments of solitude, uh, times between you and the Lord. And so uh, I'd like to start off with this question. Uh, how would you define intimacy? Uh, I can give you an example of what it's not. You see, uh, when me and uh, my wife Grace were first dating, our very first date was actually at the movie theaters, and we watched Inception. Now, we, uh, up to that point, we never really showed any physical affection uh, for each other yet, so I thought, what a perfect time to do that. And so as we were sitting down uh, watching the movie, um, I was just like, how am I going to do this? How am I going to just be all slick about just holding her hand? You know? So as the movie went on, I um, somehow got there. And right when we touched hands, there was this jolt. It felt like a jolt of electricity. And I was like, whoa. You know, I got all lightheaded. I felt like I was going to faint. Butterflies were just fluttering in my stomach. And, um, man, you know, I could not even pay attention 
to the movie. I actually had to see the movie twice because I had no idea what was going on. I was just enjoying uh, the feeling of just having uh, contact with uh, the woman I loved. Um, yeah, that's, that's not intimacy, right? That's, that's a jolt of chemicals and hormones in your body made to trick you in getting into a relationship with someone. Just kidding. Um, those uh, she's holding my hand moments uh, just are not intimacy, right? At least to what intimacy is to its core, in its core. Because what is intimacy really? Um, at its core, it's a mutual allowance of knowing and accepting of one another. Uh, Kurt Thompson, who wrote Anatomy of the Soul, puts it this way. If you permit others to know you, they can make their own assessment of your worth. They can react to you. You give them power to be affected by you and and so doing to affect you. You grant them the option to love you or to reject you. In essence, you must, must trust another with yourself. To be known is to be pursued, examined, and shaken. To be known is to be loved and to have hopes and even demands placed on you. It is to risk. To be known means that you allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be healed. In some, intimacy means complete exposure of yourself. Allowing yourself to be accepted and loved without fear of rejection, shame, or abuse. You are essentially trusting yourself to another. Intimacy. To be completely known and loved without fear of rejection, judgment, shame, or abuse. And intimacy is a wonderful thing to pursue, right? It's, it's a necessary thing. It's, it's what makes close relationships close, but it's not easy to come by and, and sustain. Because when you leave a relationship alone, right, right, there's a divergence, right? There's a, a drift, a fading from one another, a loss of movement towards greater intimacy with another. When it comes to intimacy with God, there are only two possibilities. We are either moving towards God or drifting away in our relationship with the Lord. And it is our natural tendency to move away from the Lord rather than towards him. You then come in danger of becoming this professional Christian, all duty and knowledge, all about your goals, your wants and desires, but no heart with the obedience. There's just no substance, and, and life itself starts to feel tedious, empty, and meaningless. But you're not left to your own devices. Uh, The Bible helps and guides us in all that we need in this area of intimacy. Please follow along as I read Luke 10, 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, 
Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just want to call upon you now to just bring us into your word. Give us clear hearts and minds that we may learn from you. That you would continue to, by your grace, and by the power of your word, move us towards you, Father. Expose in us, Lord, what may be hindering intimacy with you, and at the same time, give us grace and strength that our relationship with you will continue to increase in depth and frequency. And so, be with us, Lord, at this time. May we be encouraged, motivated, strengthened as we hear your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, This passage tells of what is probably Jesus' first encounter with a a couple of women named Martha and Mary, who would in time become some of his closest friends, along with their brother Lazarus, who, if you remember, would later fall ill and die, only to be resurrected from the dead by Jesus himself. Luke 10, 30-42 begins by Martha uh, inviting and playing host to Jesus and immediately starts the hard work of of high standard hospitality. Only the best for Jesus, right? A renowned and beloved traveling teacher and healer, but even more importantly, he is, after all, the Messiah, prophesied savior of Israel and the world, the one they were all waiting for. She welcomes this Jesus over, and verse 40, she becomes distracted. There, but not there. Present, but not present with her honored guest. And distracted with what? Well, with much serving. The text says much serving. And you can just picture it, right? Martha putting all this pressure on herself to make the best home-cooked meal experience and the slow, and, then, and then slowly starts to drown in all that she needs to do to achieve her standard of service. Appetizers getting cold, right? You can picture it. Appetizers getting cold, pot roast still in the oven. She struggles to get the table set, looks over and realizes she has no dishes. Uh, where are they? Much to her horror, she, she finds them all dirty, piled high in the sink. And she thinks, she wonders, who did this? Right? And then she realizes with great frustration, Mary. Mary, where is Mary? This, this is her mess. Where is she? And and. Martha peers over and sees Mary having a great time with their guest. Martha feels overwhelmed, stressed, and now frustrated, even angry. And on top of that, alone. Outwardly, Martha is busy, someone whose attention is focused on what she needs to get done. And we've all been there, enveloped on what we need to get done, putting our blinders on and, and willing to plow down anyone who gets in the way of our agenda. 
You know, it's amazing how busy we can be even during this time of self-quarantine. Yet, if we think about it, busyness sometimes isn't just busyness. Sometimes we find there's stuff beneath the busyness. You could be easy. Uh, you could be busy because you're simply just being inefficient and not managing your time wisely. But uh, your time wisely. But could there be something more in that busyness? I ask because Jesus pays attention to Martha, observing her beyond her busyness. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The Lord calls Martha out. In her busy state, she, she's not just worried about one thing. She's worried about many things. Right? Now listen, there's a worry that leads to precaution and safety, right? So when you're worried about ah, dangerous Species of animals, right? Dangerous snakes or, or, or natural disasters like tornadoes, right? We get worried about th- those things because it's, it's good to. Right? Calories in a burger. It's, it's good to be worried about those things because it, it lends us to survival. Right? There, there's a necessary biological aspect to worry. Our autonomic nervous system will, will cause us to, f- to, to, to fight or, or, or flight, right? To, to fight or flee. Again, that's, that's just... So that we can what survive, right? But but there is there is worry that manifests itself in needless stress, and this is the space we find Martha in right now. This busy filled worry. Now, as we look at this passage, we can easily be empathetic towards Martha, right? She she's working herself to the bone while Mary is relaxing with Jesus. How can we not give props for Martha and look down on Mary? Mary, Mary, help your sister out, you sloth, right? and, and stop doing nothing. And on and, and top of all this, Martha is rebuked, corrected for serving Jesus. It, it, it just doesn't seem right. All of it just doesn't seem right. This can give an unwelcomed, uh, just bring unwelcomed flashbacks of the bitterness you may have felt when some of the laziest students you knew uh, growing up got the best grades. Just doesn't seem fair. But, but I, think, I think Jesus is calling out Martha because there's something else in her he sees. This, I believe, with all the stress, worry showing itself in her busyness, points to an insidious truth about our hearts that plagues us. It's often times there, but, but so often we just don't notice it. So what is it, right? What is this, this heart issue? It just so happens to manifest itself in the form of busy-filled worry for Martha, but what is it? What's beneath that? Right? What does Jesus see? See, when you worry, you're looking for control, right? Or, or, or want of control, our want of control speaks to our very fallenness that we want that very power of God. We want his power of sovereignty and control over everything. And and when we find out we don't have it, that we really don't have control, then then we crumble. Then we stress and even break. In in Martha's stress, she comes to a point where she is commanding Jesus. Verse 40, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Martha. Martha felt alone. Worry cries out 
about an ultimate aloneness. It says there's no one who can really help. There's no one. There's no one that can can rescue me. No one is really looking out for me. Worry. It's such a dark and lonely place to be. And if there's no one there, we can think, well, I, I need to be my own savior. Right? I, I need to take charge. I need to take, uh, try to take control over the situation. For Martha, it came out as, Jesus, do what I say. Okay? Do what I say, and this situation will be saved. Right? Tell Mary, verse 40, tell Mary then to help me. Marry my life raft out of this mess. This is what will save me. This is what will give me my control back. Right? Just, just bring her over here, okay? This is how I will save myself. If you would just do what I say. Instead of intimacy, there's a growing gaping hole between Martha and Jesus. A divergence, a fading. And it's undoing Martha. She's lost and frantic. My point is this. Martha, Martha's wrong is not in her act of service, but the sin in the service. The sin is a constant battle between the rule and sovereignty of God and our own rule and sovereignty. The knee-jerk reaction, the knee-jerk heart reaction. Of, want, of us wanting to be God himself, only to kick him off his throne. We see this temptation from the beginning, right? In the Garden of Eden, as the serpent tempted Adam and Eve, yeah, just eat this fruit, right? Eat this fruit from this forbidden tree because it's, it's all right. And you know what? If you do, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. My question to you is this. Where during this crazy time of shelter in place do you find yourself trying to be God? Where hasn't it been working out for you as you may experience worry or partake in increased busyness? What part of your life have you been trying to take control over? And then stressing when the control is not possible. How has this shelter in place been ruining your plans, and agenda. I ask because it's hindering your relationship with God. It's hurting your intimacy with Him. What happens when you, when you see those empty shelves in the store? How do, you, how do you feel? How do you react or respond? How has it been with your children and, and e-learning? Has there been signs of unhealthy exertion of control over them, over the, over the learning process? When given a choice between clicking on the Bible or clicking on Netflix, are you by chance becoming your own savior by encountering the, uh, are you by chance becoming your own savior from encountering or moving away from the hard things in the home or the negative headlines from the media? You know, you know there's, a ton, there's tons of different ways this could be playing out throughout our days. But are you aware of it? It's, it's this act sometimes unknowingly of preventing God and being God in your life that is a major hindrance in moving towards him and engaging deeper intimacy with him. I mean, how could there be intimacy, right? 
When we're trying to be God, we tack on God labels that he's not safe, he's not loving, he, cannot, he, he can be disregarded, you know, or even he's not around. So we move away towards independence, towards our idols. Even worse, we encounter loss of hope and despair as that heart sometimes shows itself in busyness and feelings of worry or even apathy. Martha invited Jesus into her own mission and kingdom. And her mission was failing. Her kingdom crumbling. And she was missing him. You know, I, uh, I see this struggle in my life. The struggle of, of taking the place of God in my own life. To be honest with you, I'd, just coming on staff, I, I felt this self-induced pressure, uh, especially in giving my first sermon, which is this one, as a, as a pastor here, I, just, just wanting to give the best sermon possible, you know, hopefully to make a good first impression, uh, maybe a sort of a coming out, here I am party, right? But, but here's the thing. Um, you know, you know, my worst subjective experience in giving sermons is when I just talk about Jesus without ever being intimate with him beforehand during the prep time. When I'm more concerned about the delivery, the congregational response, how it will be looked at or received, how it will be evaluated by my mentors and peers, when I myself am anxious and troubled about many other things, I busy myself to work at being the Savior rather than speaking of the Savior. With what feels like empty words, talking. What feels like empty words, just talking. Talking about Christ at the very same time forsaking Him. I experience this struggle day in and day out, trying to be my own savior. But as we read on, we find there's grace for Martha, and there's grace for you and me. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but, but one thing is necessary. According to Jesus, there's only one option. There's only one thing that is necessary. Really? Really, Jesus? Out of all the things that we can do or say, there is essentially one need in this entire world for our entire lives. That's hard to believe because we as a generation have, have trouble recognizing and paring things down, don't we? Paring things down to just one thing. It's, you know, because it's all about options for us. I mean, the amount of options that are out there from TV, movie platforms, right, to food delivery options, cell phone models and companies, to airline services, the choices are just endless. Mark Edmondson, professor of the University of, of Virginia, a professor of English, attempts to articulate the current cultural ecosystem. In an article for the Chronicle of Higher Education, he attempts to describe the turbocharged orientation of his, his students' lives. He says this, 
You know, they want to study, travel, make friends, make more friends, read everything super fast, take in all the movies, listen to every, listen to every hot band, keep up with everyone they've ever known. They live to multiply possibilities. They're, they're enemies of closure. They want to take eight classes a, t- a term, major promiscuously, have a semester abroad at three different colleges, and connect with every likely person who has a page on Facebook. Basically, he's saying, we are a generation that perpetually seeks more and more options. We most certainly live in a time when focusing our minds on one thing, just one thing, is a challenge met with a constant parade of options vying for our attention. And even faith itself has become a part of life that has become as optional as pursuing one more hyperlink or skimming one more article. Yet, according to Jesus... Contrary to our option-obsessed, experience-everything culture, there's only one option. There's only one thing that is necessary. So it stands that everything else becomes unnecessary, right? Since there is only one thing necessary. So, So what is this one thing necessary? As we read on, verse 42, the second half of it, Jesus tells her, only one thing is necessary, Martha, and and Mary has chosen correctly. This one thing, the good portion, the good portion. Jesus goes out of his way and communicates in a language that Martha would immediately pick up. As Martha prepares a portion of food for them in her kitchen, Jesus says that he actually has prepared the only portion of food that will ever be needed. Martha, you slave away preparing physical food to feed us. Portions that which would fill us temporarily, but, but Mary has chosen the good portion. Food that would fill you eternally. The good portion, the very best portion. Come, come close, be with me. Hear my teaching, hear my words, because man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from my mouth. If what Jesus claims as the one thing to be really true, if this is really true, This makes everything else, all other options of what we could be leaning on, depending on, spending our time on, absolutely unnecessary compared to him. Let me ask you something. Especially during the times we find ourselves in, do you really know, do you really know the heart, the heart of Jesus? And do you know his heart for you? Not just facts about him and what is said or read on how he feels about you, but, but do you, from the depths of your heart, know Jesus and how he sees you? Dane Ortland, author of Gentle Noli, gives us this illustration. A wife may tell you much about her husband, his height, his eye color, his eating habits, his education, his job, his handiness around the house, his best friend, his hobbies, his Myers-Briggs personality profile, his favorite sports team. In short, what can she say to communicate to another her husband's heart for her? It is one thing to describe what your husband says and does and looks like. It, it's something else, something deeper and more real to describe his heart for you. So with Christ, it is one thing to know the doctrines of incarnation and the atonement and a hundred other vital doctrines, it is another more searching matter to know his heart for you. What Ortland is essentially saying 
is we can proclaim with our mouths that he loves us, that Jesus loves us. Yes, he loves us. I've, I've, I've learned that ever since I was young. Even point out the various places in the Bible where we can read about it. But do you genuinely believe? Do you genuinely believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus wants to be with you, longing for your company? You know, one, one thing that I feel needs to be pointed out is that we need to pay attention to not just what Jesus says, but, but how he says it. Right? The tone, the color by which Jesus addresses Martha. Listen, we, we can all agree that it matters, not just what you say, but what you say, but how you say it. Right? It matters a lot. Right? right, right, look, there's a difference between, sorry, and I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, right? One, one of the two versions elicits forgiveness and the other, I don't, I don't know, elicits a smack in the face. Um, or, or this, can I please watch TV? Or, uh, can I just, can I please watch TV? One sound sounds sweet and cute, right? And the other, well, straight up annoying. Okay. Question, what, what tone do you hear Jesus have in addressing Martha in this passage? In verse 41, when Jesus calls her name twice, Martha, Martha, Jesus is not out to get Martha. Martha, bad Martha, why can't you be like Mary? That's... That's a tone of judgment and impatience, right? That's not the tone that he, he has. Nor is he being condescending. Martha, Martha, oh, come on. Get with the program already. Stop being so dumb. No, he's, that's not the tone either. Verse 41, Martha, Martha. In the Greek, in the Greek, this repeating of a name communicates intense emotion, okay? a sense of mourning or longing. This repetition of a name is also found in Luke 13, 34, where Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as, as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you are not willing. And in Matthew 27, 46, at about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli. Lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, both passages speak to how Jesus has been forsaken. Forsaken by his own chosen people, forsaken by his own father, and now in the, in the passage that we're studying, forsaken by Martha. And it is this cry that communicates a longing for all of the above to come back to him. It's not, Martha, how wrong you are. It's Martha, Martha, hey, listen. Come spend time with me. Put down those pots and pans. I just want you to draw close to me. Spend time with me. Be near to me. And that's all that matters. I want you. I want you with me now. He calls out to her intensely, lovingly, desperately. Almighty Jesus, the Son of God who has all authority over all things in heaven and on earth, gently awakening Martha from drowning 
in her own defiance, distraction, stress, worry with such love and grace. And you know what? He, he calls out to you. He calls out to you and me intensely, lovingly, desperately. Do you hear him? He invites you even in your defiance, even in your struggle to rule and control, even in your sea of worry. He invites you to be rescued in his love all over again. Do you see? This is the real and living Jesus. Gentle, lowly, humble, accessible, kind, welcoming, tender, and understanding. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Calling you again and again, gently awakening you with such patience, compassion, love, and grace. You know what's so astounding is that those who rest their faith in this Jesus being their Savior from their sins and Lord over their life, this invitation may not be in the same form as an audible voice that Martha heard from Jesus. As believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us. And this invitation may not be an outward physical voice calling to you, but, but one that lies deep within our hearts as Jesus himself lives in us. It's an invitation that speaks from our very being and is constant within us and touches our deepest desire that says, yes, yeah, yes, Lord, Lord I want to be with you. So I urge you, right, as you hear this invitation now through his word, or when you hear his unceasing invitation in the days, months, years to come, don't deny him. Because the minimum bar to be enveloped into the loving embrace of Jesus is simply open yourself up to him. It's all he needs. Just open yourself up to him. Go to him. Find those times of solitude as Pastor Steve, has been Pastor Steve has been encouraging us to do. And hear him. Allow yourself to be known by him. Let him in. Let him have his way in you. And enjoy him. Throughout my life as a follower of Jesus, I, of Jesus, I can't say that I took up every invitation he graciously gave me. In fact, I'm sure I have rejected his invitations more than I've accepted them. But when I did, man, how, how awesome it was just to sit at the feet of Jesus. Right? Just, to, just to be in the presence of the Father. From the secret moments of the Heavenly Father showing who I truly am to the re-revelation and experience of who he is and how he feels about me. It was a blessing finding my home in him time and time again. A home where I can be completely known, loved, without fear of rejection, Judgment, shame, or abuse. And you know what? Here's what amazes me. As I reflect back, it is his faithful invitation to me, that his divine beckoning over and over again, despite my unfaithfulness, despite my rebellion against his lordship, that takes its many forms, including busyness and worry, he, he remained faithful. He remained faithful in his pursuit of me and his call to spend some time with him and is still unceasing to this day. Jesus longs for intimacy with us and pursues us faithfully even when we don't. 
To make intimacy work in any relationship, listen, to make, any, to make intimacy work in any relationship, there must be attention, effort, and intentionality put in it. As it says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. The two-way street. But we find that Jesus did all the heavy lifting, right? He did all the heavy lifting in establishing a relationship with us. Because it's all about a loving God that descends to us, comes to us, and longs to have intimacy with us. And the only way that could be possible for sinful man to come before a holy God was through the sacrificial death of his own, one and only son on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the dead. And at that cross, Jesus suffered and lost that intimacy with the Father so that you and I, you and I can have the very same intimacy he had with the Father forever. In Christ, God himself exerted all the effort and intentionality, intentionality necessary that intimacy may be possible. And that's why in Luke 10, 42, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Do you see? You have the love of God, and as sure as Christ died and rose again, that love will never be taken away from you and me. That love will never be taken away from Mary. It will never be taken away from you or me. May our vain attempts of lordship and control, our busyness, our worries and anxieties, our distractions, may it all dissolve as we take up our incessant, his incessant invitation to draw near to him and soak in his presence again and again and again. Let's pray. Father, we humbly come before you and we ask you, Lord, in your presence may expose the things that may be hindering a deeper intimacy with you, a hindrance in finding our home in you. Pray, Father, as we see those things, help us to move away, turn our backs away from the ways in which we Move away. Annihilate the ways in which we seek our, our own kingship, the ways in which we exert our own lordship and longing to control things. And in that, Lord, may by the grace you've given us, Lord, may we hear you. May we hear those invitations and simply kneel where we are and find you. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us, the power of your spirit and word. Direct us, Lord, and may we never be the same again. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.